today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by The Open Word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. then the time comes where God starts pouring out his wrath upon the earth. And rather than man turning to God and saying, wow, we so desperately need your help. No, they curse God, call upon the mountains to kill them, and wish and hope and try to die, but they can't until God comes and boom, a third more. We're going to take them out. They're going to, I can't even imagine that. How many people in the world right now? Say 7 billion, close enough. The last time I counted, uh, around 7 billion. I think a little shy of that. Let's think really huge. It is almost unbelievable to read about how people turn away from God. He is so good and faithful. Many just don't believe in him. But then, when his wrath is poured out on earth, there will still be people who shake their fists at him. Pastor David wants us to share the good news before it's too late. We can be used in saving so many people from torment. What's stopping us? Let's go out and share why we have that peace that surpasses understanding in an evil day and age. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 9 with today's edition of The Open Word. Now, these locusts, they're not worried about eating your crops out there. They're going to come in and they're going to sting. They're going to infect the people there with their sting. He says their breastplates were like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of of chariots with many horses running into battle. So not only their look, but just their appearance had to be so overwhelming, overwhelming. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. Five months. I know that Hal Lindsey, back in the 1970s, I believe it was his book, uh, The Late Great Planet Earth, did a uh, a book uh, with study on end times, prophecies, and a lot of revelation that was in it. Well, he described, or what he said that this described to him, was, again, a military effect uh, that the tails with a stinger was like almost uh, some kind of a weapon on the end of, say, like a a helicopter. And even if you've ever seen the look of an Apache helicopter and some of the other helicopters that we have, they are vicious-looking machines. They're enough to bring fear into you. Just if you see one coming up over the hill coming at you, they would be shooting some kind of a chemical that didn't kill people, but just the, the burning sensation sensation of a sting all over the body or if it got into the pores of the skin. Well, I don't know for sure. I don't completely discount it, 
But I think more than just a weapon, a military weapon, I think we need to zero in on the fact that I believe that these, again, are demonic spirits that are just wrecking havoc on all those who had turned against God. It's interesting, too, that the normal lifespan of a locust is actually five months. They usually come, they're kind of birthed up around May or so, and they live till about September. They lay their eggs and die. And so it's kind of interesting that these guys are given the power and the ability to impact those that they stung for five months. Military, when you look at something like ISIS, which I believe are demonically influenced and empowered, I believe that maybe it could be military. But I have absolutely no problem in thinking that God is using just a beast, uh, rather a large insect or whatever it might be, that again, just that he could use anything at any time to again pour out his wrath on those who continued, continually, continually turn their hearts and lives away from God. Tormented them for five months. You think God gets pleasure out of the fact that for five months they were suffering? I wonder again if it's like what we've looked at in some of these pauses and some of these times. Is that a time for them yet still to turn to God? And yet they don't. They just wish to die. Or like we've read elsewhere, they just call for the mountains to fall on them, to to kill them. Rather than turning to God, they turn to the mountains and pray for the mountains to fall on them just so it'd be over. Not realizing that it's not over, that this life isn't over when we stop breathing but our spirit continues on. These locusts, as we shared, different than regular locusts, and maybe it is that they are military uh, impacts that they, they can't even begin to imagine in John's day, flying helicopter, an Apache helicopter, or drones, or all kinds of things. These locusts, they have a king that rules over them. Verse 11 says they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Natural locusts aren't led by a king. They're just led by a swarm. It's not like one goes out and they follow behind him. They just move in a swarm. These here have a king, and this king actually has a name. So in doing that and speaking that, that brings not so much a symbolism as much as man. This is a reality that there is a leader here. There are forces that he is controlling, that he's directing here. Then this is just the beginning of the woes. This is the first of the woes. Verse 12 says, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So we look at the next, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, there's a lot of things on here that we want to look at. First of all, this altar, you've got to realize this is the same altar where 
earlier on, there, there were prayers going up to the Lord, and there is an angel there. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. This is the altar of the prayers of the saints. And it says, go and release these four angels, four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates. Apparently, these weren't your basic good angels, okay? These weren't your God's, you know, ministering and serving angels. These angels are bound. These are being held back. And it's interesting, too, they're bound at the river Euphrates. Where is all the torment and all the, the problem going on with ISIS right now? You look on a map, and it's right there. It is in that very exact area. Beloved, I think that these things are getting set up so much into place. It is just phenomenal when we read the news and we look at the reports and we read the Word of God and we start seeing and we lay these things out, one on a map of what prophecy says, one on a map of the events of the world today, and we see how these things literally just kind of merge together. I think that it's also interesting to note that there was a specific hour, a specific day, a specific month, a specific year that these angels had been prepared for. It's not like, well, just hold them over there until the time. No, there's a specific exact hour God knew in advance. He'd planned and purposed all of these things. That's what they were created for. They were created for this very moment of history, this very moment of all of eternity. That's interesting. It says, have them released there at the great river Euphrates. Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And John says, I heard the number of them. So it's not like John is guessing or John's trying to count. He says, no, I heard the number of them. For years, I've heard that this would be the Chinese army because only the Chinese have that big of an army that they could actually bring up 200 million men. However, if you tie this in, we're going to go on a little rabbit trail here. Stick with me. But I, I want to tie these things in with you. You might want to write them down and look, but just stick with me. If you tie this verse in, this 200 million man army, if you tie this in with chapter 16, verse 12, we see that there's more than one king that's ruling over this vast army. In chapter 16 of Revelation, verse 12, we read, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of what? The king of the east? No, plural. The kings of the east might be prepared. This is part of that thing where I think that there's a parallel, that they're going in conjunction with each other. Here in chapter 9, they've been given the authority to go out to kill a third of mankind. There's a 200 million man army. And then over in chapter 16, we are actually in the, the seventh trumpet, the sixth bowl of the seventh trumpet. And it speaks that now the river Euphrates is drying up. These angels, where were they bound? They were bound at the great river Euphrates. So I believe that this 200 million man army could be a confederation of nations that are joined together, not just one. Perhaps as we look at the news today, 
it might be a vast pulling together of the Muslims, both Sunni and Shia Muslims, join together. And remember, I think we, we've shared uh, over the last few weeks, as we, and believe me, my, my messages in my own brain are kind of running together as we go through this, because again, we look at in a lot of Russia, there are Muslims in Russia, in the Ukraine, there are Muslims in the Ukraine. Turkey is almost all Muslim right now. We look at uh, Syria, we look at Iran, we look at Iraq, we look at all of these areas. And again, the vastness of that army coming together. Could maybe God be pulling all those together, them thinking that they have this great authority, this great power, but God is simply using them for his purposes for his times. On the other hand, maybe we spend possibly too much time thinking about the 200 million man army and not enough thought put on the horses. Because here in verse 17 through 19, listen to what it says. Yeah, there's a 200 million man army. It's a horseman, 200 million. But verse 17 says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red and hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. Maybe that's either three different groups that have come together, or maybe that's a flag of the confederation that's joined together. And then listen to this. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth, out of whose mouth? Out of the horse's mouth, came fire, smoke, and brimstone, and by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouth. So John makes it very clear. A third of the people were killed, not by the sword of the horseman, but by the fire and by the smoke and the brimstone that comes out of the mouths of these horses. He goes on in verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. There's a lot going on there. Maybe instead of being a human army, whether it's the Chinese or Confederation of the Muslim States, could this be simply symbolic again of a vast army of demons or demons that have taken over and I believe demonically controlled is the most likely to happen? I bring my mind back to ISIS and just the way that they respond, the way that they are acting. Demonic possession carrying them, empowering them, literally embodying them as they go on into battle. I feel that these horses actually represent this demonic possession of this 200 million man army. I say this because I believe there's a lot that ties this passage in with that passage that's found in chapter 16. Again, I'm going to bring you back over there. But as a matter of fact, keep your place there in chapter 9 because there's a larger passage I want to read in chapter 16, which I know we'll cover in a few weeks when we get to 16, but it needs to be tied in with these. If you look at Revelation chapter 16, we'll begin down in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Look at verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs 
coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. By the way, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, those are known as the unholy trinity, okay? Uh, and again, we, we see that as we see even how they respond a little bit later. We'll look at that. Verse 14 says, For they are, what? Spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then there's a little piece that's inset here, verse 15, where the Lord is saying, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. But verse 16, back to the kings, they'll be gathered together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So we see this, I believe, back in chapter 9, the sixth trumpet, those four angels that were bound at the river Euphrates, that again, now this 200 million man army coming in. Now, I know that we're not quite there yet in chapter 16, but I believe that the vision that John sees in chapter 9, he's setting up the playing field, he's putting the players in place, both human uh, as well as demonic, as well as angelic, along with God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are in play. And right now we're setting the field up, and yet even in the midst of all of this, there remains those who vehemently deny the one who could save them, the one who could bring to them relief. Listen to what it says back in chapter 9. So we've got all this stuff going on here. Verse 20 says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which could neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In other words, what God is saying, is I've gone all through the time, even to the point as we look, and let me bring up a real quick kind of a parenthesis in here or a sidebar. Again, the church is not here. The church is gone. I believe in the beginning of chapter 4 when they said, John, come up here, and I was there in heaven, that that was, again, symbolic of the fact that the church is gone because from that point, we don't read, we don't hear, we don't see anything about the church. We see here, we can even see it right here in verse 20. We know that a third have already been perished, and the rest of mankind don't repent. So you see, the church isn't there. The church is already with the Lord. So the rapture has taken place. So all the preaching, all the teaching, all the pleading, all the explanations that have been given to the lost all through the years by their caring friends and family members, and they still didn't receive the answer, and the rapture takes place, and now the moms, the dads, the children, the aunts, the uncles, the friends, the co-workers, the neighbors are gone and they don't take that as a sign, wow, maybe what they said was right. I need to turn my heart and life to Christ. Some do, but we find out that they're martyred at that point. You would think with that mass exodus of that huge amount of people from all over the world in just a, a moment's time, as the word says, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at that last trumpet will be with the Lord. In that short a time, you would think that the rest of the world would say, wow, wow, it must have been true. No, but there is a deception. There is a blindness that's put over the world. And then the time comes where God starts pouring out his wrath upon the earth. And rather than man turning to God and saying, wow, we so desperately need your help. No, they curse God, call upon the mountains to kill them, and wish and hope and try to die, but they can't until God comes and boom, a third more. We're going to take them out. They're going to, I can't even imagine that. How many people in the world right now? Say seven billion, close enough. The last time I counted, uh, around seven billion. I think a little shy of that. Let's think really huge. Let's think enormously huge. Let's think evangelistically, we used to say. Let's say that there's going to be maybe, and I would really stretch to say, a billion Christians taken up in the rapture. It's a narrow gate. There may be hundreds of millions. I don't believe that there's going to be a billion. Let's say a billion out of the seven. That leaves us with about six billion. A third of those, two billion people. Now that's if this is in conjunction with the thirds that had already died in the past. We've already talked about thirds a couple of other times. So are those, is that a third here, and now what's left, there's a third of that, and then what's left, a third of that, or are we talking, no, a third generally of whatever way you take it, that is a lot of people that are dying, and man still doesn't cry out to God. He still doesn't repent. They do not repent of the work of their hands that they should not worship demons. The idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which could neither see nor hear nor walk. They do not repent from their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Man's heart had hardened so desperately hard that he would not even see. And God had given time and time and more time for man to repent. Man is without excuse as God pours his wrath upon the world. Years ago, looking at the book of Revelation, say back in the 70s, you know, we could look and see, wow, yeah, that's really horrible stuff. But you couldn't even almost comprehend, even in the 70s, some of this stuff taking place and happening. Even though Israel was now a nation, you know, it was still kind of a real stretch. I believed it was going to happen, but it was a real stretch to kind of really see how all of this could come about. Beloved, it's not a stretch for me anymore. Man, I'm seeing the world in the way that it is right now. I'm saying, wow, how easily that can be and how hard man's heart is getting toward the things of Christ and the message and the hope of the gospel, the word of God, anything that has to do with God. Our world is sinking faster and faster and faster than we can even begin to imagine. And it doesn't take long to look with an open mind and an open Bible and an open newspaper or radio or whatever it might be to hear the news and to see what's going on and to understand this is not the same world it was back in 1950, 1960. It's not the same world it was in 1980. It's changing dramatically. Open our hearts.
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand. Welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.